The Blue Yeti. WCW. WCW. Uh, Tony Schiavone. This was really expensive. Ron Reese. Ron Reese. He came back later, wasn't he? Uh, he came back as Ron Reese. That's, that's what I, <laughs> as I was saying, I was like, wait, no, that's his name. Well, that's he was he was the Yeti, mm-hmm. and then he was Super Giant Ninja, mm-hmm. and then he was uh, Ron Reese. Was he in the flock? He was in the flock. I remember he had like blonde hair. Was it blonde, or am I thinking that because of Reese's Pieces? (laughs) He had, like, a little mohawk thing. Blonde, wasn't it? I want to say it was Sandy. Dude, you round up, you say blonde. (laughs) Sand is basically blonde. Uh, But yeah, this is the Blue Yeti. Gigantic purchase. Which I I was able to purchase using points earned for my job selling toilets. My, my share of it. Anyway. Really, really throwing the money down the drain, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so I have a, I have a very important question for you. Yes, sir, brother. Uh, last time we determined that your uh, that your working name was going to be uh, Alistair Brown. Al Brown. Al Brown. So after the exciting developments in AEW, are you now going to be Malachi Brown? No, I'm no. not. I'm not. No. One because I don't like the name Malachi. We've discussed this through text. For anyone who's listening to this, uh, Alistair Black. Showed up in AEW uh, three, four days ago. Uh, exciting debut, I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you feel the same way. I know. I thought the debut itself was great, even though he he debuted by kicking the shit out of Arn, who's my guy. Yes. Um, he also beat up Cody, who's not as much my guy. I don't think Cody's anyone's guy. Cody's Cody's guy for sure. That's a fact. But yeah, the lights went out and uh, mm-hmm. and the lights came back on, mm-hmm. and we were. I was excited because I'm like, oh, it's Tommy End. Yes. But then they were like, that's not Tommy End. And I was like, what? But they said it was Tommy End. <laughs> well, Excalibur was like, that's not Tommy End. That's Malachi Black. You know, you know what this was? This was uh, on the Brody Lee tribute show when Eric Rowan shows up and Jericho's was like, it's Eric Rowan. And Excalibur's like, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's uh, what's his name? Eric Redbeard. Yeah. Like, somebody. But also, we're not going to spend too much time about this. Uh, I think Tommy Ann is a better name. Way better name. Uh, you can chant it. You can't chant. I guess you could do Malachi. Block, 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 block. It just feels racist at that point. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm not going to be Malachi Brown. I have to rebrand myself. So Mal Brown. Uh, <laughs> Mal Brown. Al, Al Brown. Al Brown. Is, okay. is uh, retired for now. I need to think about it. Oh, Al Brown is retired. He's retired. That name is retired. Okay. He Jesus doesn't exist Christ. anymore. <laughs> Okay. He went to the mental institution with uh, <laughs> Josiah Williams, and um, yeah, you know, continuity, I guess. All right, but, so uh, my big my big announcement was going to be I also have a I, I also have a working man now. Fucking wait. Yeah, but now if you change if you're changing, I feel like maybe I should change it up too. I was gonna be I was gonna be the big beef buff boy RD. I like that. I like that. We have a red shirt on. Very. Tomato saucy. <laughs> um, I think that's good. I love that. Yeah. You know, my catchphrase can be get stuffed. <laughs> you know, you're not on board. You had me until the end. <laughs> okay. Now I, I, I'm thinking of, obviously, I'm, the innuendo in, in, involved there. <laughs> but I'm also thinking of Oreos. Double stuffed. Okay. Double stuffed well, Oreos. Didn't Mick Foley do the commercials for the, the double stuffed beefaroni or whatever it was? He definitely did a uh, a canned soup type of <laughs> product, yeah. I think it was Chef Boyardee. Chef Boyardee, and it was like a double stuffed beefaroni. That's, that's so fucking disgusting. You you Americans. And now, granted, I was born in America. I'm pretty pretty I'm pretty white for a brown guy. Maybe that's my problem, actually. Um, maybe that's it. But that's not a name, right? That's a, that's a description. Anyways. Uh, Maybe some 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 Sugar Ray reference? I do love Sugar Ray. Brown Sugar Ray? 
think about it. I'll think about it. <laughs> I don't know. Let me think about this. Maybe at the end of that, I'm pretty quick-witted, okay? So maybe by the end of this podcast episode, something will come up. Okay. We're talking about top baby faces here. Top baby faces, yeah. So last week, maybe last week, I don't even know. We haven't even decided it's how this like, going to air yet. It was like a month oh, ago. Oh, you meant like in, in fake timeline order? Yeah, yeah in our last, last episode. Yeah, our last episode. Well, we talked about WWE booking. And one thing we didn't really touch on, I mean, we talked around it. We didn't talk about it explicitly. And that is the concept of the top baby face. Because there are a few different ways to organize your roster. WWE is and has always been a babyface territory. Their shows are built around a marketable babyface. The theory behind having a top babyface is that you get the merch money. You create this hero, you sell him to the kids, the kids buy the merch, not just t-shirts, but foam fingers and wrestling buddies and whatever else. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't really work if you have a top heel. Top-down heel booking is kind of a hallmark of the NWA and WCW, right? Ric Flair's always on top. Yep. The idea is you have this heel challenger and the money is in the chase, right? You're, you still have a top face, mm-hmm. but your top face kind of rotates in and out. It's always who's going to be the guy to finally dethrone the top heel. So, which is why you have Ric Flair, and Ric Flair has so many iconic foes. Sting, Dusty Rhodes, Lex Luger, Ricky Steamboat, Magnum TA would have been one, etc., etc. Even Ronnie Garvin. AJ Styles and... AJ Styles, uh, Jay Lethal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But my point is that if you have a top heel and the company's built around the heel, then you are essentially throwing baby faces at them and you're selling this idea that the baby face will knock off the heel. Yes, WWE has always been much more focused on the opposite, where you have a top face, the face who runs the place, right? Yes. And he slays an endless barrage of monsters. It goes back to Bruno. The first WWE champion was Nature Boy Buddy Rogers, who was a heel NWA champion. And as soon, it's like... A couple of days later or weeks later or something like that, they put the belt on Bruno, who then is champion for like seven years or something stupid, right? crazy, yeah. And during that time, Bruno defeats all manner of villains, and that sets the template, right? The McMahons decide that the business model for them is top babyface, defeating a variety of heel challengers. And then that torch gets passed on. It gets passed on... From Bruno to Pedro Morales to Bob Backlund to Hulk Hogan to, I guess, the Ultimate Warrior. But that's a little iffy. And that gets to the point where it takes a very special person to be a top babyface where the everything is booked around them. Yes. They because, can carry the promotion. Right. That's it takes a idea. very special kind of performer to be able to carry a promotion like that long term because it's very easy for the top babyface to get stale. And we'll get into that. And sometimes it's a lot of pressure to be that top babyface. And sometimes the guy you think it's going to be doesn't work out. The Ultimate Warrior, for example. Lex Luger. Lex Luger is another example. Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash. Even Bret Hart, right? Even Shawn Michaels. I mean, those guys were... were... Sid in that time period Mm -hmm. also. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's another interesting question. What happens when your top face can't handle being the top face? Or what happens when the audience disagrees about who yes. the top face should be? So I think there's a whole, probably like half a decade, almost a full decade, it doesn't really go anywhere between Hogan and Austin. Right? You have champs. You have guys who are your top baby face. Yes. But not the capital T, capital F, top yes. face that we're talking about today. And then from Austin, it goes to Rock. Well, Austin and Rock, so Austin and Rock were essentially the same time period, right? So it's 98, like 99. Yes. They both sort of hit their, that main event status. They are 1A and 1B, or 1AA and 1A, I don't even know. And they switch back and forth. Yeah. Because Austin's injured, and then they just immediately smooth. So you're right, Austin and Rock, it's, 
they're a team, essentially. A team of top babyfaces. And then after that, it's kind I guess the next one is Cena. Uh, yes. There's no... no he's a clear top face, more than a uh, Batista. Right. Which would have been the other option, or Randy. Uh, Brock, they tried. And then Reigns. Even though Brock was on the roster, but not on the show, and more often than not holding a title, they were clearly treating Roman Reigns as the face that runs the place. Yes. The babyface around whom the rest of the show revolves. Yes. Where I think that they run into a problem, where they ran into a problem was, and this goes to one of the points you said earlier, is what if the audience disagrees? Is that what you want to do? You want to start from the, the recent problems, or do you want to go back from the beginning and sort of trace this? I let's, mean, let's trace it. It makes more sense to trace it. So. so, you have Bruno. Bruno's champion for seven years, whatever the hell it is. Yeah. And it's a big drain on him. But during that time, mm-hmm. he sells out the gardens, something ridiculous, like yes. 900 times. I don't even know what the real number is, but yeah. it's absurd. The, num- the number of times that Bruno San Martino sells out Madison Square Garden, and it's essentially the same match. Bruno was not a worker's worker's worker. Like, a lot of Bruno matches are not even filmed, right? I've seen probably three or four Bruno San Martino yeah. matches. But he does not have the reputation of a Harley race or a Ric Flair and that's another thing, too, is that it's interesting that if you have a top-face company, a baby-face territory, you don't have, seemingly, as big a value on work rate for your top guy. Because he doesn't need to make it seem like he's going to lose. He needs to be charismatic. Of course. He needs to have the ability to connect with the audience, but he doesn't need to necessarily fool the audience into thinking that the other guy is going to win the way that a Ric Flair would need to, sure. right? So for that reason, you don't actually see... I mean, Bret Hart's an anomaly, right? These guys are usually, especially in WWE, they're bigger guys, larger than life yep. would be how they would put it. They're charismatic, big personalities. Mm-hmm. They are squeaky clean, usually. They appeal to the kids and the families, usually. usually. And... They have a a simplistic move set. You want you because you, you want them to be predictable. The top uh, the booking around a top babyface has the benefit of being comforting. It's easy. It's, it's easy and it's I almost want to say patriotic, right? It's home team, right? Yeah. You know who you're gonna root for. Nationalistic. Yes, but, but I mean to say like Bruno at the Garden is a hometown hero. Yes, that is a super easy mm-hmm. sell. Yes. If you've gone to see Bruno San Martino wrestle at the Garden, you went with your dad, and yeah. you take your kids to Fair. see Bruno at the Garden. Yeah. Right? Or, if your dad took you to see Bruno, and you take your kids to see Hogan, it's the same thing. It's the same kind of idea of continuity. Yes. This idea that some things never change, and good, clean fun, and mm-hmm. a family entertainment, right? Like baseball. Like baseball. That's what I'm trying to get across when I said it's apple pie. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's uh, as American as, as apple pie. As American as apple pie. Understood. Exactly right. So Bruno's the template. Bruno's the template. And I do want to get into, I think this is a good opportunity to go into my uh, sort of psychoanalysis of Vince McMahon and his super weird relationship with his, his top baby face. Yes. And how that relates to his own relationship with his dad. But that's maybe for, for later on down the road. Yeah. But... But just know that it's... It's coming. It's, it's underneath everything that we will talk about. Yes. Yeah, Vince McMahon's... And I truly, I truly, truly, truly believe this. I believe Vince McMahon's issues with his father drive the last 40 years of WWE programming in a really, really fundamental way. And aren't you excited to hear about that? But Bruno... <laughs> Bruno's champ for like uh, seven years, five or seven years, something like that. I'll find out. Keep talking. He loses to Ivan Koloff, and people are mortified. Apparently there's almost a riot, right, that Bruno has lost to a Russian of all things. Disgusting. Loses clean, by the way, which these baby faces don't always do. Mm -hmm. He loses clean to Ivan Koloff, and Koloff is champ for like a month before losing to 
Pedro Morales. Yes. And Pedro is the first case of a top babyface who doesn't quite work out. And nowadays, we would call that an extremely successful run. And by the way, Bruno was champion for just over seven and a half years, the first reign, and then he had a second reign, which was another... Four years or something like that? Something like that, yes. My point was that Pedro is your first example of a champion who does not live up to the... How do you live up to that? They've still... That first title reign of Bruno's, no one has come close. Even Hogan, in... 83 to 88, which was his first run. Yeah. Four years is the closest. Yeah. He got halfway there. Yeah. So even Hulk Hogan, the who we think of as nobody being as over as Hulk Hogan, at the hottest they've ever been, right? Yeah. Even Hogan, at his hottest, yeah. was not as over as Bruno San Martino was in the 1970s. That's wild. No one's ever going to beat that. Being over the title reign. I think they're tied together. I don't know if that's true. He sold out the garden. How many times? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote my my friend Phil mm-hmm. uh, when they did the 365 days celebration on Raw. He has said basically the physically demanding matches are different, of course, like in yes. 2012 or whatever it was, but that selling out Madison Square Garden for however many years versus being consistently over in all of the U.S. versus one area of the U.S., I think there's something to be said about that. You know, this gets into, like, national stars versus regional stars and, and baby faces and how that, how that would be different in, in those settings. Right. If you look at somebody like El Santo yeah. in Mexico, who's bigger than wrestling. Yes. In a way, we talk about Hulk Hogan being bigger than wrestling, not even close to El Santo. Yeah. El Santo's fucking James Bond and Batman and Godzilla and everything yeah. else rolled yeah. into it. He's got a... Uh, the only thing that would be close to him is The Rock, yeah. but even The Rock isn't playing himself. You know, El Santo is... He's El Santo. He's El Santo. Yeah. He is an industry unto himself. Yeah. But he's almost entirely constrained to Mexico. Giant Baba... Anoki, like these are guys who are huge in their respective countries, and it doesn't necessarily translate to a casual American wrestling audience. But you can't take away how you know huge they that they were. So, to your point about Bruno, about you know no one really catching up to what he's accomplished. I agree, but I also think I know for me, Bruno San Martino was no one I knew of. Until the late, you know, before 2010, where he would be talked about on, like, by Dave Meltzer or something, mm-hmm. like, historians. But do they, does the casual wrestling audience care? Are they as uh, um, prevailing in, in their minds? I don't, I don't think so. Well, I think you're right, and that's why they talk about CM Punk being the longest reigning champion of the modern era. Because there is a really big divide between Hogan's first reign and everything else. Yeah. Because before that, it's not national. It's not on cable. Mm -hmm. It's much more of a niche thing. Bruno's the king of New York, Mm -hmm. and he's going to draw in Philly, and he's going to draw in Baltimore, but he's not going to draw... In San Francisco. He's not going to draw in Texas. He's not going to draw in Louisiana. So, to your point, yes, it's very, very different. And it's probably much easier to build a promotion around a hometown hero when you're based out of a hometown. Yeah. I mean, it it still works to this day. I mean, let's, you know, you mentioned uh, Punk there. I mean, it's not to the same degree, obviously, as uh, Bruno in, in Madison Square Garden, but like, you associate certain wrestlers with certain cities, parts of the country, like Brian Danielson is Washington wrestler. Washington. So when yeah. they're in, when they're in Seattle, it's a it's a bigger deal because Brian's on the show. Punk with Chicago, Cena in Massachusetts, uh, Bruno obviously in New York, and, and even like Shawn Michaels in San Antonio. Like you can do that, but it's it's still Bret Hart in Canada is the big one, right? Yeah, Bret Hart in Canada. So you can do these things. But to your point, like, it's not national. It wasn't national. And, and it really was about the demographic. 
Like, with Bruno, he's an Italian-American superstar. Like, they, they cater particular, uh, specifically he's, to that. He's an Italian-American guy beating up non-Italian-American guys. Yes. So they've got, like, a Puerto Rican guy, and Bruno's going to beat him up, and there's some kind of worrying implications about yes. that. To their credit, the guy who replaces him as the top face is Pedro Morales, who's Puerto Rican. Yes. But maybe the fact that he didn't draw as well as Bruno is, to your point, a demographic failing more than anything else. The fact that you had this Italian-American superstar, you can't sneeze at it. But... Also, to your point, as you're expanding and you're, try, you're looking to try other things, you need to broaden the appeal mm-hmm. of, your, of your hero, yes. which I think is what we see with Backlund. I was going to say that. I think that's what we see with Hogan. We do see it with Hogan, but I think Backlund is an attempt to do it, too, mm-hmm. because you've got Bruno as your champion, the center of your show, when he's in New York, and it's re- it really works. Yeah. And then we try Pedro, but it doesn't work as well. Mm-hmm. We go back to Bruno for four more years. And then we go to superstar Billy Graham for a year. And then from Billy Graham, we go to Bob Backlund, who mm-hmm. also has like a four-year run. And Bob Backlund is, talk about apple pie. Bob Backlund is like a high school wrestler, like a collegiate wrestler. He looks like Howdy Doody. Mm-hmm. He's the most... White bread, milk toast, inoffensive white guy you could have if you were trying to just appeal to white people in general. And I think that was the plan with Backlund, right? Maybe he doesn't appeal as directly to the Italian American fan base, but maybe he does speak to a wider fan base. Because he was, uh, he's from Connecticut, but he seems super Midwestern. Yeah. Like, if you're trying to move your show into the Midwest, I think somebody like. Bob Backlund makes sense to try to spearhead that. But ultimately, he may be less objectionable to white bread America. Sure. But he ultimately doesn't have the personal magnetism or the charisma or just the visual appeal of... Say his name. Terry Jean. Terry Jean? I mean, Terry Terry Jean yeah. You know his middle name? It's Gene, yeah. Why do you you know, know Shawn Michaels' kid's birthday. Yeah, because Cameron's a friend of mine. <laughs> Cameron Cade and I go way back to the uh, Heartbreaking Triumph DVD. Okay. Um, yeah, so yeah, certainly Bob Backlund, Hulk Hogan, there's a, uh, a clear jump off in terms of uh, <clears throat> magnetism. So Hulk Hogan beats Iron Sheik. He does. Iron Sheik, again, just to drive home the point of what we're doing here, from like 1963... And now we're in 1983. So 20 years. Uh And in those 20 years, how long has a heel been champion? Like a year and a half? Sure, sure. The point I wanted to make earlier about like Hogan and and sort of like the demographic thing is like you have the Italian-American, then you go to Pedro and then Bob and then eventually Hogan. Hogan is like, I don't know what the fuck Hulk Hogan is. Like is he Italian? He is Italian. Hulk Hogan is legit Italian. Terry Bollea is an is an Italo American man. Vince Senior made him Hulk Hogan. Yes. Because in his mind, you gotta be ethnic. So Hulk Hogan. German. No Irish. I'm from Pakistan. I don't know (laughs) that Hogan is that like a a, a name for. Yes, an Irish name. It's not O Hogan (laughs) or Hogan. Hogan was supposed to be Irish. They I, Originally, they were going to dye his hair red. It was going to be a whole thing. To your point, though, by the time we get to the 80s, by the time we get to nationalizing this, yes. Hulk Hogan's ethnic identity is completely untraceable. Red, white, and blue, baby. He looks like fucking Blanca from Street Fighter. He's not even a human color. He looks like the fucking palette swap of Blanca. Like I if you're, it, yeah. You swap out the colors. But that's what I'm saying. Hulk Hogan does not have an obvious ethnicity. Just American. Just American. And it works. He really hammers home the Americana bullshit. You know, he gets the real American theme song. He gets the the train, say your prayers, take your vitamins thing. Like, he's 
a half inch away from telling kids to do their homework. He's this patriotic big brother, and I don't mean that in the Orwellian sense. I yeah. mean that in the uh, comforting, protective yes. sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Protecting these kids from these scary onslaughts of yeah. things like Earthquake and uh, King Kong Bundy and Andre the Giant, you know ultimately. What, you know what I just thought of? Hulk Hogan is the personification, in so many ways, of dare. <laughs> you know? yes. Like, don't do drugs. Right. Bad. Be mm-hmm. scared. Mm-hmm. I'm going to protect you. Here's what you should do. And then you learn that dare didn't really work and it was like really counterproductive. Yeah. Hogan, yeah. you learn, piece of shit racist guy <laughs> yes. who was abusing steroids and like totally not what he made himself out to be. They're both, they're both frauds. Yeah, exactly right. Derry Balea. Derry Balea. That's just, if he had a podcast, that would be his name. Yeah. Or if Hulk Hogan were going to start like a, like a cheesemongery. He owns to sell, a, to sell cheese. He has a beach. He's got a beach shop. So if you want to get if you want to get like Hulk Hogan branded board shorts for like three hundred dollars, then yeah, go horrendous. there. So what I'm saying is, yes. move to the Midwest. Yep. Get yourself a dairy farm, and mm-hmm. now you're Dairy Balea. You know, I've got nothing else going on in my life. <laughs> I could certainly make that happen. But no, so Hogan, as you say, his ethnicity, who knows? He's just American. Right, but he's definitely a break from the previous model. Yes. And Hogan has a very successful run. We do the weird thing with Andre. Then from Andre we go to Randy Savage, who has the title for a year. But Randy Savage is the first time where we have a guy who's our champion, but he's not the top face. This becomes a big problem later. You wonder why CM Punk identified with Randy Savage so badly. Because Hogan is still very much the top face. Even though Randy Savage is our champion, and champion for a full year, Hogan is still in the main events, and Hogan, in fact, is teaming with Randy Savage as the Mega Powers. So we don't even get to see if Randy Savage mm-hmm. would have succeeded in the way that Pedro Morales got to do. Sure. Right? He got a year to run and did well, by all accounts, just not as well as Bruno, yeah. so they went back to Bruno. Savage didn't even get that dignity. They put the belt on him, but never took the belt away from Hogan because they're always in tag matches. The belt is still in proximity to Hogan. Yeah. So when Randy Savage turns heel a year later and the title goes back to Hogan, that's the first time that happened. We showed a willingness to put the title on somebody else, but it's also the first time that the title does not automatically signify the top face. Gotcha. It goes back on Hogan... And then we put it on the Warrior, and when the title went on Savage, it was a whole fucking thing where the title was won by Andre the Giant, but it was a the referee was paid off, yeah. and so they vacate the title and they do a tournament, and Randy Savage beats Ted DiBiase in the finals. So we move the title to Savage without ever passing the torch from Hogan. Yeah. The following year, it seems like they're ready to actually pass that torch. Because the Warrior beats Hogan. Hogan. Yes. Clean. He kicks out towards the end, but yeah. He kicks out at 3.1. Yeah. He has to keep his heat, brother. <laughs> Gotta keep his heat. But that shows when you've got a problem, when your top baby face is not ready to stop being your top baby face, which Hogan clearly wasn't. Hogan was still trying to milk some more top guy yeah. money out of this. Mm-hmm. So... Warrior, by all accounts, doesn't work because he's a piece of shit. And not even a piece of shit that you can deal with, like Hogan. Uh He's just an impossible asshole. So he's only got the title for, like, six months. Which is the shortest run for a babyface champion that they've ever had back then. Okay, I was going to say, it's changed. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. But back then, when the template is Bruno reigning for years at a time, to have a babyface champion who only lasts from WrestleMania to the Royal Rumble, is a huge, huge indication of buyer's remorse on the part of the the booking committee, by which I mean Vince. So Warrior sticks around, but never sniffs the title again. And the title goes to Sergeant Slaughter, then back to Hogan. Hogan drops it. To Undertaker. To Undertaker at Survivor Series at 91. Then Undertaker... Hogan wins it back at this Tuesday in Texas, but then they vacate the title. Yes, he vacates so, it. 
more bullshit with Hogan. Hogan really hates to lose clean. I don't know if you or oh, listening audience knows that Hogan... I am very aware. I wrote, I wrote an article about this for, uh, for What Culture back in the day, which has subsequently been turned into a video with like millions of views that I was not subsequently compensated for. Uh, not that I'm salty. No, you're salty. You're pretty salty. I can, I can... No, it's just, uh, what's it, Adam Pacitti? Is that him, Adam Pacitti? Just reading my jokes pretty much verbatim. Is it Pacitti? There's like so many Adams and Andys on the fucking channel. It's the skinny one. They all it's not like are the, skinny. It's not like the bald one. Who talks like this? I hate that guy. I like that guy. Do you? He's more fun. You really sound like him. Like, <laughs> you fuck out. You're also, you're also bald. I am bald, but... Yes, bald. No, that's Adam Pacitti. Who's the other one? No, what do you mean? No, it's Simon Miller. Simon Miller, yes, okay. Pacini, again, I think Pacini is on Cultaholic now. Okay. There's yes. Adam Lowborn, who, is, <laughs> who looks like Pacini, but it's not Pacini, he's on what culture? Do you remember they separated? Like the, uh... Right, right. Like the NWO red and black and the <laughs> NWO black and white. Anyway, so, Hogan dropping it to Taker, taking it back, then vacating it, Ric Flair wins it at the Rumble in 92, drops it uh, several months later to Savage at Mania. Savage is champion until September, when Flair wins it, champion for two months, to Brett. Brett is carrying it from October 92 at a house show. That's, a, that's weird. Saskatchewan, I think. Yeah, Canada. Drops it to Yokozuna at Mania. Okay. Love Yoko. Who then loses it, I assume 10 seconds later, to Hulk Hogan on the same night at Mania. And I think that might be Hogan's last reign as that, champion. It's not. He wins it again in 2002. Yeah, really but that's, yeah. Yeah, that's a, a postscript. Ostensibly, this is his last run with the title. This is, his la- this is the last time he was able to convince them to fucking hitch the wagon to him. Yeah. Because we had been seeing diminishing returns. Yes. That's why they're trying to get the, the spotlight off of Hogan. Yes. Like, the Savage thing is whatever it was. I'm not privy to... I assume Hogan was still making enough money that they weren't ready to cut bait. Yeah. But from the Warrior on, they're clearly looking for an off-ramp. They're looking to get this shit away from Terry Jean. Mm -hmm. Because they try with the Warrior, it doesn't work. They try building Sid as a top babyface, it doesn't work. Diesel. Diesel. Well, we're not at Diesel yet, but they put it on Brett, but Brett is not the mold. Brett was over, but clearly they were thinking of Brett as a transitional guy. And they were trying to get the title on somebody who's going to be in the Hogan mold. In this case, it would have been Luger. Yes. Who they were looking to get the title on. Big, white meat, literally a big slab of white meat. There it is. And they even put him in the fucking star-spangled panties, right? Even more so than Hulk Hogan. Mm Mm-hmm. And they gave him the fucking, like, knockoff Bruce Springsteen... Yes, yeah, yeah. I'll Be Your Hero song, and the, the Lex Express... Hey, is Lex Luger an Irish name or, like, a German name? Uh, Luger would be German. The Nazis, Luger. Yeah, well, look at the man. To your point, right? They're looking for a way out of Hogan. Mm-hmm. They, they... Brett's a champion, but he's not the mold, and they're still looking, mm-hmm. right? So... All the while, this is the early 90s, right? So the steroid scandal is teeting up, as they say. So if we look at these champions really quick in the early 90s, Yokozuna, Bret Hart, Bob Backlund makes a return here in 94. Love that run, by the way. And loses it three days later. <laughs> three to, days later to, to the Big Diesel, D, yeah. To Big Diesel, D. who probably more in the line of a Hulk Hogan type, right, size-wise. Drops it to Bret Hart in 95, Survivor Series. Sean wins it. And essentially the title stays between Sean and Bret. Sid's in there for a little bit, for a few months. And yeah, so here we are with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels as essentially the predominant champions from 95 to about 98. And business is not the hottest in 95, 96. Right. But they're rebuilding. Well, the issue is business is cooling off slightly with Hogan. So they're looking for the off-ramp to get the title on somebody else to hopefully rejuvenate the title scene. And the problem is everybody they put the belt on is less hot than Hogan. Brett's over. Mm -hmm. 
And by the way, we're getting into the period where we're expanding globally now, not just nationally. Yep. And Brett, in fact, is, I think to this day, still the best drawing champion in Europe that they've ever had. We don't talk about that a lot, but Brett is still a huge deal in Europe. I remember watching WWF Livewire, I think, and they showed a, some clip of uh, Brett's over in India. And uh, there's a lot of reasons why I hit Bret Hart. Mm-hmm. Uh, India is one of them. <laughs> That's all I'll say. In Pakistan, they love Shawn Michaels. No, they don't, but... Uh, they, they love don't. Roman Reigns, weirdly. They love John Cena. They lo- Pakistan loves John Cena. Really? My brother has told me that. My brother has been to Pakistan six, seven, eight times, and John Cena is huge over there. So, there you go. We'll get to John Cena later. So, Brett is, is, is champion. He's over, but he's not as... Right. Hot as but a Hogan. He's yes. in a different mold, but after the steroid trial, they obviously are kind of forced to look for a different mold. Yes. Because the old mold has a big steroid stink on it, and it's scaring away the families and the kids. Yes. Because, oh, it turns out these family-friendly superhero types are all uh, are big, big-time drug men. Yes. So you're trying to get it on Brett, you're trying to get it on these smaller guys, but... The steroid stink is hanging in the air, mm-hmm. and business continues to decline. So yeah. to your point, they get Diesel, who is charismatic. I love Diesel. We love, love we love Big Sexy Kevin Nash. We love Big Sexy Kevin Nash in this house. Unfortunately, business is real, real bad under Big Kev. Uh, Diesel has it for literally a year. Just under, one week under a year. We're hemorrhaging fans under Diesel. We continue to hemorrhage fans under Brett. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try Sid, and we try Sean, and we continue to hemorrhage fans. Sure. And it seems like the business model of the top babyface mm-hmm. is dead. It seems that way. Yes. Until we get Austin. Well, let's talk about something real quick before we get Austin. Yes. WCW Nitro. Uh-huh. Debuts in September 1995. Hogan is gone. Savage is gone. Luger shows up on the first Nitro. So you're seeing, at least in WWE, we're not talking about WWE necessarily in this conversation, but a bunch of, I would say, top talent from the, the Fed go to WCW, and so you are, and Nash goes with them later. So you have Sean, Brett, Taker. He wasn't really a champion so much, but he was there. And eventually Austin comes into the picture, right? But Austin's not hired to be top guy. No, he's not groomed for it at all. At all. And so, so before we like get into Austin, I think it's, it's a, yes, the, the talent was the talent, but what is the appetite for pro wrestling at the time? What are the storylines, and what is like the tone, right? Because 95, 94, 93, 96, I mean, how would you describe the, the, the content on TV? It's garbage. Yeah. It's it's childish garbage. It's a kid... I mean, but that's what it was. It was a kid's show, so you get a superhero to star in the kid's show. Yes. But kid's shows aren't selling at this point. No. So you can't use a superhero. It doesn't matter... What's happening in nine, 1992 and 1993 uh, uh, culturally? Grunge. Yes. Right? Like, wrestling at its best should be somewhat reflective of, like, the tone of, like, the culture. Well, right. sure, yeah. If you're going to be successful with anything, and, and you have to recognize. So, yeah. Hogan, first time period, was reflective enough of, I guess, what was going on. Hogan's glam rock. Yeah. So then you get you go into the early 90s, which is grunge. WWE is not doing grunge, you know, quote-unquote TV. Austin comes in, not to be a big baby face. He's just like, he's a good hand, as they say. Mechanic. Mechanic, like the uh, FTR used to be called. Yeah. You know... WCW is, is, like, doing well, I guess. But they don't really hit their stride until the NWO, mm-hmm. which is... Hogan a, as a heel. Yes. WF at the time is 96. Still, like, you know, kind of PG-ish kids programming. It does change, which Sean changes. Brett changes. Uh, Undertaker goes under, you know, goes through his makeover at some point. Austin goes from... Chili McFreeze, <laughs> Chili essentially. McFreeze. essentially. Ash Dagger. Yeah, to, you know, he gets to be 
the sea boss that we eventually known as, and and again, it, it's so against the previous babyface, right? If the previous top babyface was Hulk Hogan, and all the successors were not super successful, the next guy is diametrically right the opposite. We go from we go from take your vitamins, say your prayers, do your push-ups yes. to. Don't trust anybody. <laughs> Don't trust anybody. Flip off your boss. Get drunk. At work. <laughs> um, and all the while that's happening. Drink you, a bunch of Steve Wazers. Yeah. And you have you have your 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 not undercard acts, but you got DX. You've got the Rock coming up, who's not exactly like Steve Austin, but it's a very bombastic, non-traditional baby face. I mean, this is the point where we talk about our top faces essentially being healed. It turns out to be less about whether or not the character is actually portrayed as a good person. Because, as Bobby Heenan pointed out, Hogan was always a sore loser. He was a crybaby. He took shortcuts. Mm-hmm. A heel would try to cheat, and Hogan would cheat right back. Yeah. And, you know, Gorilla Monsoon would say, turn about his fair play, and Bobby Heenan would, would rightfully point out, well, if he's such a good guy, he should just try not to cheat. He should just try to win the match fair and yeah. square. You have things like that sort of subtly implying that your top babyface doesn't actually have to be a morally upstanding character, but you get confirmation with Steve Austin. Yes. Who's essentially a chaotic, villainous, violent redneck, but he strikes a chord, and that's more important than the moral alignment. Yes. Right? So the top babyface, theoretically, is a moral alignment issue, Mm -hmm. but it's actually, I think, a resonance issue. Is this person striking a chord with enough of our audience that they will embrace him as their representative? You know, Steve Austin, it resonates with the audience. Anomaly happens. You have The Rock come up at the same time. And they go with The Rock. Yeah. Like, The Rock, you know, at the time, was super young. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't working as a babyface. Switched him as a heel. Clicked. And then you could imagine play the, with that. Imagine the fortune, too, to have somebody like Austin who catches fire, yep. but his body's breaking down. And then, oh, it's okay, we have The Rock, who's exactly as over <laughs> somehow. And yet, and yet, they had lucked out, not just with The Rock, but WCW's going to fold mm-hmm. in, in just a few years. And then you could theoretically have an entire roster's worth of options. Yeah, a roster, gonna, a roster yeah. where everyone's a star. Yeah, well, I mean, we all know the biggest star was Chris Canyon, but <laughs> who better? Yeah, who, no one. Um, so yeah, you have Rock and Austin. Austin more than Rock, right? Because he comes first, takes that ball, and knocks it out of the park. Right, right. He finds himself in the mainstream. Right, he crosses over. That's what I want to say. He crosses over more than Sean, more than Brett, more than any guy since I said, I guess, Hogan or Savage. And he's not a baby face. He'll stun anybody, right? Which is part of the appeal because mm-hmm. you can't trust him and he, he doesn't want you to trust anyone either. But it works, right? And, and the next guy, if, if we think about Rock and Austin as one package deal. package deal, the next guy is Cena. And Cena is not like Austin. He is at the beginning. Or at least he's more like Rock. He's Thugano- more like Rock. Thugonomics, Thugonomics Cena yes. is much more of a morally loose character sure. than Super Cena. Right up until the time that he wins the title, mm-hmm. he still has an edge. Yes. And that edge, not Adam Copeland, becomes... I'll be a year later. Yeah. Gets <laughs> surgically removed from him. Yes. Once he becomes... The Marine. Mr. Clean the Marine. He becomes Bob Backlund. He becomes Hulk Hogan. He yes. becomes... Instead of... Uh, prayers, vitamins, training, it yes. becomes hustle, loyalty, and respect. So John Cena is as safe to that WWE and, and McMahon as a Hogan is safe. A uh, Bruno is safe. Like, the, I mean, they always say this about John Cena. He's not going to say anything stupid to embarrass you. Now, now he does yeah. with Fast 9. But when <laughs> well, he's, he's, he's embarrassing New Line Cinema or whatever. He's not embarrassing yeah, Vince. Fair, fair. But, you know, he was reliable. He's not going to say anything stupid. He can have good matches. He's relatively durable. Not really. He, he starts off with an edge. Eventually becomes Mr. Marine, clean guy, all that. Which, maybe not the majority of the audience, 
you know, the vocal minority, as they say. He had enough of the audience with him that it was sustainable Mm -hmm. for a decade and a half, which is more than you can say for all of the champions they had in the 90s. Sure. As much as we complain about Cena and Super Cena and not being a, uh, you know, not being an interesting character, he did not almost kill the company. Never even came no. close. I mean, so this is this is another question, maybe for a different episode. Is so wrestling is obviously shrunk in popularity. Some of that is cyclical, right? And some of that is clearly creative. And I don't even want to say it's the stars necessarily. I think the stars are representative of creative. For the most part, the stars are not acting of their own volition. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Especially in that company. So, at some point, was there just too much Cena in the iteration that he was in? Because he's fine now. I think if he shows up on TV, people will like him. Maybe they'll bull him for fun. But he's fine. 2010, 11, 9, like 12 even, was rough. That period was the closest to Hogan that he ever came. In terms of squashing people that shouldn't have been squashed and hanging out to spotlight that should, maybe we should have been looking for an off ramp for Cena. Yes. John Cena effectively, let's say 2015 is when he starts transitioning away, right? Because that's the Roman mania with Brock. That's 2015. Mm-hmm. Daniel Bryan was a year before. And maybe this is, this is a separate episode, it's definitely part of this episode of. When the audience disagrees, uh, dude, I would argue 2011, 2012, they disagreed. They wanted uh, CM Punk. They kind of got CM Punk. Uh, In the sort of Mega Powers version. Exactly. Not to his liking, and mm-hmm. certainly that's why he left, uh, was that he was never, he was a champion, but he wasn't in the main event. Just like you said about Hogan and, and Savage. He was the face, but he didn't run the place. Exactly. Uh, uh, 2000 in I guess summer 2013, 2014, Brian, Daniel Bryan gets very hot, gives him the title, they beat him. Not only do they beat him, they want to hammer it home. This is not the guy. Triple H cuts promos. This is not the guy. And it, that wasn't part of the like that wasn't part of the plan. The plan wasn't him to win and then like prove Triple H wrong. Triple H was gonna be right. This is when the idea of the guy, yes. and that's what we're talking about. When, yes. when we talk about the top face. Yes. It's the guy. Yes. That's when being the guy really enters the on-screen discourse. You get characters start to talk about being the guy. But they still use it to say, I am the face of whatever division. Like right. The division. Fa- we've been saying it the whole time, the face that runs the place, the yes. champ who runs the camp. That's what they're talking about. Yes. They're, they're turning this sort of backstage classification yes. of a character type into a... An ambition of a fictional person. And this is 2014, right? There were, we'll, we'll see, yeah, the end of 2014. That's when it becomes apparent that they're getting ready to move to Roman. 2015, January, Roman Reigns wins the Rumble. The same Rumble that Dana Bryan said he's returning from career ending almost. Right. Yeah. And so you have a returning beloved babyface. Maybe not the top babyface, but could be. Certainly could be. Oh, he certainly has the he certainly has the will. Like the fan will is there. They yes. want Daniel Bryan to be your yes. the, the top babyface. The office is not convinced. They're not convinced. So Roman Reigns wins the Rumble with help from the Rock. From the Rock. And it was such an unpopular decision that it turned Rusev babyface, yes. if you recall, for yes. the night. Mm-hmm. People, it was so transparent. Like, when Roman got beaten up and taken out, people already started booing because they knew it meant he was going to win. <laughs> so, the last half of that rumble is, like, dead air. Yes. Because everybody knows what's going to happen, and fucking, uh... Well, actually, we're talking about 2015 now, right? Well, so, 2014, 2015, in my mind, are, like... 2014, two Daniel... really bad hours of TV. 2014, Daniel Bryan wasn't even in the Rumble. No. That's the one where people expected him to be number 30, and he wasn't in the Rumble at all. It was Ray. Ray got booed. And people actually, that year... Loved Roman. Loved Roman because he wasn't Batista. And they they sensed that Batista was the hand-picked guy. Flash forward a year, Batista's gone. He's being Drax. (laughs) You've got 
Roman clearly being positioned as the top guy. Yes. People are not here for it, and halfway through the match, he gets taken out, and they're clearly doing the thing where the babyface returns at yes. the end, and people are so mad about it mm-hmm. that for the second half of the show, it's just fucking frustrated silence. Yes. Daniel Bryan gets eliminated like halfway through by Bray Wyatt. No one cares. Yeah. It's nothing. It's fucking nothing. It's a nothing match. And at the end, Roman eliminates everybody. And nobody cares. WWE booking is, is so often off the mark with what at least the live audiences want. Yes. Because the next year, it's the rumble where Roman goes in as champion. And it's Triple H who wins the match as a heel. But Ambrose is in there near the end. And it's fucking clear who the audience wants. And it's not Roman. Certainly not Triple H. It's Dan Ambrose. And they, they obviously they don't go with him. They go with him five, six months later, not really, with the money in the bank. But, so Roman Reigns has been the recipient of really bad placement. He's been placed with guys who are more popular in one in one metric, right? More at least audience cheers said guy more than they cheer Roman. But the the office, like you said, not really on board with these other guys. So that's bad enough. But what is the Roman Reigns character? Roman had no obvious character, which is part of the problem. There was nothing to grab onto. He was literally a corporate decision in SWAT gear, the most crucial thing, and this is what we've been saying from the beginning, right? He doesn't have to be a morally correct character. He doesn't have to be an ethical person. He doesn't have to be nice. He doesn't have to be clean cut. Because at this point, we've seen top faces, very successful top faces, who were none of those things. So we have a guy who fits the physical mold, yes. right? Larger than life, mm-hmm. unique look, marketable, theoretically, but there's no personality to latch on to. He doesn't feel like anybody's champion, right? That hometown support. He's yeah. not the hometown... For who? Pensacola. Pensacola, okay. The point is that he never found, or they never found, that chord. Until he strikes that chord, he's going to be a square peg in a round hole. There's no way around it. Now, with Lex Luger, they gave up on it. With Roman, they're refusing. And with The Rock, he wasn't working. They turned him heel, and it worked. With Roman, they refused. So Roman is such an interesting case, and he really deserves his own episode, because you and I both saw it all firsthand as adults. So we experience it in a different way than we experienced the Rock or Austin or Hope. Also, also, just totally correct. As adults, we've experienced it. We also experienced it, experienced it, with way more access to the information backstage, whatever stuff that you could, you know, backstage information. Because you know, the Rock. Even if we were adults back then, nineteen ninety-eight. How am I? How am I gonna learn about, you know, Vince McMahon, you know, choosing. Dwayne Johnson. The Observer, brother. Yeah, well, I didn't have money. Um, <laughs> so there's that there's that, that aspect to it. And you mentioned um, he's a corporate choice, and, and he does deserve, deserve his own episode. But the, the, the choice of Roman Reigns in The Shield was a legitimate, like, corporate choice. It was, you know, the story is he's Chris supposed Hero, to be Chris Hero, yeah. And they went with Roman because the office wanted Roman. There's a reason why he looks the part. But, as you say, you know, he was a square peg in a round hole. Or it vice was, versa, vice yeah. Vice versa. It wasn't going to work because it just wasn't going to work. And they, they, they'd, they'd shown you, shown you it was not going to work. Well, because we've seen every other... You have to capture the imaginations and capture the hearts of mm-hmm. the fan base in a uh, broad scale kind of way. If you can do that, you can be missing the look, or you can be missing the alignment. You know what I'm saying? There are so many... Th- you don't have to have every piece of the puzzle, because of all these top guys that we've talked about, very few of them ticked every single box. Yeah. Bruno was not a great promo. 
Stone Cold Steve Austin was not family friendly. No, and, and just even beyond that, like... Hulk Hogan was not sympathetic. Like... Uh, but Austin, I mean, everything you're saying is correct. Like, you don't need to check all the boxes, but you need to check enough of them, and the audience needs to... You need to... Yes. It needs to resonate with the audience. And That's the one box you absolutely need to absolutely. check. If you're not resonating, you just got to get them to that point. Yes. Get them to that point where the audience embraces you, and then everything else can kind of fall yeah. into place. But trying to tick those other boxes before that one is pointless. Yes. And I think that's what you should have learned with Lex Luger. Right? Yeah. It's what you should have learned with Lex Luger. The guy looks the part. The guy can wrestle the part. Mm -hmm. The guy theoretically is as marketable as Hogan. He's more or less the same. But Mm -hmm. he doesn't capture the imagination the same way. So, oh, well, almost had something. Guess we did. Yeah. But... With Rock, the lesson you should have learned is, okay, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Could they have done something different with Lex Luger? I don't necessarily think so, because Lex Luger didn't have the same kind of larger-than-life personality, so probably wouldn't have worked as well. But The Rock wasn't working as a babyface, so you turn him heel, you find, you find that he's got other stuff to offer. Now you've got a fresh character to work with. Great. So you... Don't apply those lessons with Roman. No. Instead, you just keep insisting that people like him. You point to a guy over a chorus of booze. Yes. And you say, this is the guy. This is your guy. This is your hero. Yeah. Your hometown hero. And he wasn't anybody's. Um, do I think he will be? After this heel run, Absolutely. fucking probably, uh, yeah. <laughs> Roman Reigns is going to be a huge. I mean, if there deal. was an audience now, if there had been an audience the last like four or five months, uh, he probably he, already would have been turned face. He would be the biggest baby face. To their credit, this Roman Reigns heel run will get him to where he needed to be, or where they wanted him to be four or five years ago, um, and that's good. That's good. They need some, you know, top top. Star. I don't think that's, I don't think that was Drew, Drew McIntyre. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I, people do like him, uh, but he's again. This is still, even with uh, with respect to Roman, it's still not anywhere near, like what Cena was. No, you're right. I mean, Drew. I, I like Drew. I like yeah. Drew a lot. I like Drew's in ring a lot. Um, but we're getting to the point again where we have to differentiate between. A champion mm-hmm. and a top babyface. Yes. And what differentiates that is a real willingness, or some, some might even say insistence, on building the show around that character. Yeah. Um, I guess this begs the question, and we have to start wrapping up yeah. now. Is the that model, the top-down top babyface centric model is it outmoded are we continuing to and by we I mean WWE for some reason over part of the, I have a sock yeah sure yeah. I'm, Mike, I'm actually Michael Hayes um, are they actually doing themselves a disservice by continuing to try to find someone to fill a role that is passe do we need somebody to be that all-encompassing, family-friendly, top baby face. Do we need to be searching for that? Or do we need to be searching for... Can we get somebody over first? <laughs> well, you know, you know. Um, my personal opinion is this. When I watch a show, not just wrestling, but just a show, I don't want the show to revolve around one character. Mostly because I want to be given a large collection of interesting personalities. I don't need, personally, I don't need a A1, number one baby face, because I think it's flawed. Yeah, because it, the problem is that it creates a sharp divide between mm-hmm. one character and all the other characters on the show. You want a constellation. You don't want yes. one shining star. You don't want a protagonist. Sure. You want an ensemble. Well, you can promote one guy more than everybody else if you want. I don't mind if like all the posters have Roman Reigns, it's fine. But when I'm watching the show, I want to feel like Roman's a big deal, but I also want to feel like 
you know, Cesaro's a big deal. And I don't think we can maybe uh, have a separate conversation about this, just like, the audience, uh, so much more fragmentation of the audience, and I, I don't just mean in wrestling, I mean like in music, in any kind of art media, is like, you could do a Hulk Hogan, right? It's like, well, there's only three channels on TV, it's Hulk Hogan. Well, people's tastes have, I think, changed, and become more diverse, and you, you know about Japan, you know about Mexico, you know about the idea of, like, for, uh, presenting a one-all, be-all babyface is sort of ignorant, because not everyone, no one, not everyone will like that person, and the tastes are different. So, why not have, as you say, a, an ensemble of different characters that are distinctly different? Hangman Page is not... Alistair Black. I'm not looking to watch one guy. If I have a particular favorite, fantastic, that's the point. But when you limit it, when you are the creator, when you're like Vince McMahon, you're like, this is going to be the guy, I think you're shooting yourself in the foot. I agree. I think, as you say, there is so much more. There is so much more in terms of professional wrestling, in terms of so much other media it's so hard for any one thing to capture the imagination. I mean, this is a global brand now. Mm-hmm. It's not regional. Mm-hmm. It's not national. It's not even international. It's fucking global. And you have to realize that if somebody's going to be on top, then yeah, they should be. They should appeal in a general sense to people all around the world. Right. But you have to realize that this model of the hometown hero is probably not going to work because there's no hometown. Well, home planet hero? If unless you fucking bring in somebody from outer space, like I mean the closest you could get is something like Floyd Mayweather, right? Coming in from another sport yeah. and disrespecting the thing the one thing we all agree with yeah. that wrestling is good. But w- wrestling is great. But the problem with that, of course, is that WWE can't even agree that wrestling is great. They won't even say wrestling. So things are not looking great. No, no. To, to wrap this up here, um, I think in the next in five, six years, when Roman's gone, hopefully there will be a different approach to how do you portray our champion, our main inventors. Hey, there's, there, there's a different way to, to do this. Your way hasn't really worked. Your audience is, uh, obviously your uh, viewership has gone down. And, and the guys are just less over. So... You know, insanity is, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, thinking, expecting a different result. Uh, I'm hoping that a uh, a 50-something-year-old Triple H will agree and and do something different. Because it it can't be the the, uh, white meat baby face mold. No, let's let's hope that uh, Roman is the last guy. Um, There's nothing wrong with having a top star. There's nothing wrong with having a champion. But... We're, we should be talking about a constellation of stars, mm. not a bunch of planets orbiting one sun. Yeah. That that model is unsustainable currently. So, something we uh, that's related to this, and will be a different episode, I think, is the no one is bigger than the brand, and that, I think that comes out in the booking, right? Uh, there's a lot more we can get into. Uh, we won't because. You know, it's, yep. it's, it's, it's almost time. Yep, it's time. Uh, it's Vader time. There you go. All right, this has been Tag Me and Brother. Our theme song is Donovan's Monkey by Blue Oyster Cult. I don't know who that is. I know the name. I don't know what that is. Okay, well, you've heard the song. Yeah, I still don't know what that song is. I mean, I mean just listen to the episode. I mean, how about you post it? Yeah, well, I will post it. And uh, also, at some point, I will be saying things like, you know, where to follow us on social media. Wouldn't that be something? I have a social media account. Okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, I have a social media account. Period. That's the end of my sentence. Uh, yeah. So at some point, we will we will do the social media plugs. Yep. But uh, yeah. But for now, we're just gonna we're just gonna sign off. Uh, and uh, I'm uh, I'm Matt. A.K.A. Do you remember what my name was? Uh, Buff Boy R.D. <laughs> the Big Beef Buff Boy R.D. I was close. Yeah, that's right. You can call me Beef. I'm not going to call you Beef. Do you want to call me Buff? <laughs> I don't know what I want to call you right now. <laughs> well, I want to call you a fucking Uber. Like that, <laughs> <laughs> well, 
<laughs> well, I guess it's okay that you don't know what to call me because I don't know what the fuck to call you since well, you changed your uh, mind again. Uh, I thought we were doing Pretty Fly for a Brown Guy. When I started- That's not a name. Pretty Fly for a Brown Guy is not a name. Why can't it be? <laughs> oh, uh, Pretty White for a Brown Guy. That's what it was. Pretty pretty White. What the fuck am I saying? <laughs> um, we'll go with Al Brown for today. Okay. Okay. He's retired, but he's... It's like, it's like Hogan. It's like Jordan. He's back for a season. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, 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 I'm going to pitch you something. Yeah, brother. Scott Halal. I like that a lot. Scott Halal it is. <laughs> Hell yes. You know Scott Hall uh, <laughs> favorited a tweet of mine. Did he? Seven years, six years ago. Yeah, it's fantastic. Thanks, thanks Scott. Uh, Scott Halal. <laughs> I really like that. It's up there. It's it's not. I it's mean, change it next time, but I like it a lot. So. All right. I mean, you know, the original name was great. I can't use that one though. No. no. Um. Yeah. So, at some point, we'll plug social media. Mm-hmm. Uh. What do you want to talk about next time? Well, um, we can talk about uh, we can talk about the top heel. Although there's not as much to say, mm-hmm. I, I think, because the top heel is kind of an easy thing to yeah. to parse. Maybe we do the Vince episode. You want to do the Vince episode? Yeah, we'll do the deep that dive. That makes into sense. Vince. We do WWE booking. Top baby face, then we go on events. Yeah, I think so. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, sure. Cool. We'll do. We'll do an episode. That might be a two part. Two part. It might have to be. That dude has real problems. Uh, just like the sunlight in your face, it's really blinding you. You're blinded by the light. By Bruce Springsteen, which is gonna play us out. Is it? Do we have rights to that? No, absolutely not. I was gonna suggest the Wolfpack theme, actually. I love the Wolfpack theme. You're wearing a red shirt. I'm wearing. Yeah. All right. You know what they say. Don't turn your back on the wolf pack. You know why? Because you might wind up in a body bag. One thousand percent. That was really good. That's awesome. Okay, that's that's where we end. <laughs>